Um, okay, guys, good morning. Uh, as many people have alluded to already, uh, the cat's been let out of the bag. Uh, we're going to be talking about God's wrath today. Um, and honestly, I think God's wrath is going to be far more encouraging than you might think it to be before, before we get into it. So um, I was going to ask you if you wanted to hear the good news or the bad news, but you already know I'm going to give you the bad news. So uh, we'll just get right on into it. Um, guys, the reason that we have to talk about this, and we got to take this seriously and take it to heart, is because this, the book of Romans is written in a way and in an order in that Paul intended it to be. Okay, and I also want to just take a quick look at this scripture in John 16. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this to the disciples. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so... Well, I'm not going to preach on this verse because there's a lot we could unpack here. But what I want to point out is that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit's first job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the reason that that's the case is because if we lack strong conviction about sin, righteousness, and judgment, we will lack strong conviction about grace and mercy. And so this is, God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. His spirit knows what he's doing when he comes to convict, and in the order, so to speak, of which, which he should convict. And so our title for today's message is From Image Bearers to Beasts of Burden. And so as humans, we've been given an incredible purpose, incredible meaning, an incredible goal, and that's to be an image bearer. Genesis 1, right from the beginning pages of the Bible. And what happens is so often when that isn't our goal, when that isn't our aim, our aim when that isn't our vision, we slowly but surely become a beast of burden. And it's kind of an old school term. A beast of burden is an animal whose main job is to carry a heavy load. That's what a beast of burden is. It's, it's bread, designed, its purpose in life is to carry a load. And if we don't understand sin, righteousness, judgment, and then grace and mercy, we'll be stuck carrying around a heavy load our entire lives. So we want to be image bearers, not beasts of burden. So let's go ahead and jump into our scripture text for today in Romans 1. So Steve introduced the book as a whole. Joel introduced essentially Paul's introduction to the Romans, and now we're kind of getting into uh, the meat of the letter, so to speak. Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. 
For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. We'll pause there um, and talk about this a little bit. Our first point for today, the first idea that I want you to come away with, is that the wrath of God is a good thing. Can you imagine if God didn't punish evil? What kind of God would he be if he didn't punish evil? Not a God worth worshiping, I don't think. That'd be so wrong. That's not fair. That's not just. So Abraham, in Genesis 15, God is speaking to Abraham, and he says this to him. After he makes these great promises to him, he says, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so Abraham, God has promised Abraham this land. But God says, well, not, you can't go into that land right now because the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached its full measure. It's going to be four generations before you can. That's it's kind of weird. What's going on here? You see, the thing about God's wrath, God's wrath is so much different from the wrath of a person. Because a person's wrath so often is, in the heat of the moment, emotional, fly off the handle, damage, destroy. There's collateral damage. But you see, God's wrath is calculated. It's measured. It's precise. And so God says, no, you can't have that land yet. Because I'm still giving the Amorites more time to repent. And you know, it was about 500 years before Abraham's descendants went back into that land. Really, God? 500 more years? That's, you, you, at what point do you think like things aren't going to change and you just give up? But that's not God's nature. He doesn't just give up. You know, we have to wrestle with the question, because we know that God is love. We know that God is just. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? Like, seriously, if you're a Christian, you need to wrestle with that question. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? And the reality is, guys, that God doesn't just send evil people to hell. Like, when we think of evil people. But whatever image comes to your mind of evil people. God doesn't just send those people to hell. God sends anyone who has not made Jesus both Lord and Savior of their life to hell. And what Paul is doing as he unravels this, this progression from an image bearer to a beast of burden is he's really flipping the question. Not how can a loving God send anyone to hell Rather, how can a just God not send everyone to hell? How can a God who is just not send everyone to hell? And Satan, 
Satan is working so hard to dull our minds to the influence of sin. There are so many, the whole world is under this illusion that something besides, we're always treating the symptoms and not the core issue. Sin is working. Sin is the reason why we have so many, just, I'm not even going to start the list because the list is too long of all the problems, all the things we'd be critical of in society, all is sin. It's at the root. The wrath of God is something that should make you uneasy. It should make you fearful. But if you believe God's word, this is a good thing. Because the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. You can't even begin your journey to true wisdom without acknowledging the wrath of God. You can read books. You can be educated. You can know how to make tons and tons of money. You can know how to uh, you leverage your gifts and abilities and uh, your, your charisma and, and manipulate people, manipulate circumstances to get anything you want out of this life. You can have all those skills. That's not true wisdom. And that kind of wisdom, that to get whatever you want out of this life, in, in my short time on this earth, all, what I can say about that is that, you know, it looks great, but it never ends well. It, it has never ended well a single time. The scripture says that for what can be uh, the wickedness, in verse 18, the wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. See, the truth is, is that God is good. That's the truth. And you know, the more evil there is, the harder it is to see the goodness of God. And evil comes in all forms. Satan and his and the, the dark spiritual realm and the powers of evil are, are powerful. And, and evil comes in all forms. Evil comes in even the form of spirituality and religion and the word of God. Our second, as we continue through this passage, God has made himself known. God has made himself known ever since the creation of the world. His eternal power and divine nature. There, You can't see them with your eyes, but they have been perceived by the things that have been made. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 4 say this, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The, the message of creation, without saying a word, goes out to all the world. Amen. Here's the, I, this is what I, one thing that I love about nature, right? Nature is, is beautiful. And, you know, whether you're standing at the foot of a giant waterfall or at the foot of a mountain or... Whatever it is, whatever gives you that sense of awe. 
The thing about nature is that it doesn't really care that you're standing there and looking at it and giving it this, all this respect. It's completely indifferent to you. If you weren't there, it, it doesn't change a thing. Nature is actually really humble in that way and that it doesn't beg for your attention. The reason why it doesn't is because it's always pointing to something else. Nature's always pointing to the designer, to the creator. Its message goes throughout the entire world. You know, I'm kind of a, an anxious person, so I kind of fidget and stuff a lot and uh, move around a lot. Maybe you've seen that. And, uh, you know, so I just had some, like, little metal pieces and just a bunch of junk, right? I just had it in my pocket this week, and I was just, you know, just... Just kind of just fidgeting, you know, with all the stuff in my pocket, just constantly, right? And then uh, just going through my day, just, you know, just con- and then, and then by just the other, just yesterday, I reached into my pocket. I wore the same pants all week, by the way. So <laughs> just been fidgeting all week. And I reached in my pocket, and then this came out. This phone. Right? How, how many of you guys are buying this story right now? It's, it's so obvious that this thing is it's designed. It, it's, there's, there's complexity to it. And it drives me insane. How we can look at this and be like, no, no, that didn't happen. That didn't just appear. That didn't just come. This phone. But we look at a human being. We look at the ecosystem. We look at the universe and, oh, no, that just, it, just, it just got there. That drives me nuts because we know when we look at something. I just turned the flashlight. We know when we look at something, whether it was designed or not. And, and here's the thing, too. If this phone were to, were to break or to malfunction, who do you think would know how to fix it the best? I, I'm, I, I have no hope. It's... The one who designed it, the one who created it, knows exactly how to fix it. And humanity, God is the answer. God knows how to fix the brokenness in humanity. For though they knew God, they did not, verse 21, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Guys, we need to understand that, so we're just, we're just getting on the beginning of this downward spiral. And this is where it all starts. It's the, the lack of honor and thanks to God. This is where it all starts. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What is so special about you, Paul is asking the church? What do you have that you were not given? And if it was given to you, how can you brag? What do you have that was not given to you? I mean, this is just echoing what Tim said, speaking about communion. Really, everything comes from God. Yeah, sure, you worked pretty hard, but man, without the intellect that God gave you, you wouldn't have those skills to have the life that you currently have. If If he didn't give you the able body, you wouldn't be able to do those things that created the life that you now have. And so we can be so, so, so prideful well, I worked for that, man. And yes, there's truth 
in that. But if that, that, that thought right there, no, that I worked for that. That's mine. That thought. That's the beginning of this whole process, from becoming an image bearer to a beast of burden. They became futile, dark, meaningless, claiming to be wise and became fools. You know, when we ignore an entire realm of reality, so there is a spiritual realm of reality, and when we ignore an entire realm of reality, what happens is you won't be very in touch with reality if you're just ignoring a massive part of it. And what happens is, is that that leads to being out of touch with reality, which leads from wisdom to foolishness, right? Our education, mathematics and social studies and language, you learn all these things and it's supposed to make you wise, but what does it produce in our, in our world? Leads to foolishness because we're in, it's not in touch with reality. A beast of burden has no idea never thinks of God, has no idea of the spiritual realm. But here is the reality. The reality of the world that we live in is that your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. A great purpose. And matter of fact, your actions do affect others. Even the actions that you do in secret. You know, maybe you won't be able to relate to this at all, but maybe some critical thoughts you've had about somebody on the other side of the political spectrum, on the other side of the political aisle. You know, it's just some, some critical thoughts, you know? You've been there? Do you really think that doesn't impact your heart, your spirit, your body language, your relationship to that person? Really? You really think that doesn't hurt them? Well, it was just in my mind. It, you know, a very common way, what's happening in our world is people spend all their time, like all their spare time they possibly can, internet, phone, social media, streaming, television, just stimulated, plugged in all the time. Well, what's that, how does that hurt anybody? If that's what I choose to spend my time doing, how does that hurt anybody? Man, if you, the, by the way, the average American, and I don't, this is insane to me, I, I can't even, I don't even fathom, but it's the average, not even like the extreme, the average American spends eight hours per day on their phone. If you could use just some of that time, to talk to that other person who's on their device. See, by not doing that, what you're doing is you're suppressing the truth about God because God made us for community. He didn't make us to live in a virtual reality. He made us to live in the real reality. So suppressing the truth about God by not talking to that person by not helping people in need, like using that, that hurts people to not use our time to do good. Right. Lust, pornography, 
You really think that doesn't affect the relationships with the women in your life? Really? Really? Guys, what we do in secret absolutely impacts other people. That's the reality that we live in. All right, we're going to move. I'm going to skip a little bit because I'm just running low on time here. So uh, Romans, uh, we're continuing in our passage. So now we're in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen? Man, what starts to happen is there starts to be this, this, this degrading, right? Humanity, it becomes dehumanized. And we become controlled by the lusts of our heart, we become controlled by our impulse, by instinct, and become that beast of burden. And what happened is, is that we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. It's so easy to worship the things that God gives than God himself. See, you know, God provi- one of the things that God does for us is he provides for our needs. And how hard are you willing to work for what you need? And you know, you know how it goes. You always need a little bit more than what you actually need. So how hard are you willing to work to get in your mind what you perceive to be your needs? Because you need that, that new, that upgraded model of that boat or that car or whatever it is. You need to have that. How hard are you willing to work for that? And how hard are you willing to work for your relationship with God? See, creation has an order. God took chaos and he made it order. And Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom and and my righteousness, and these things will be added to you as well. The order that we're supposed to seek is his kingdom and his righteousness first. And then all these things will be added to you as well. We get out of order. We worship the things that God gives and not him himself. So we're, I'll save that for later, right? And the beast of burden just keeps working, just keeps working. Now, this next couple verses here are pretty, they're fairly controversial. And actually, I I, I don't understand why, and the only reason I understand why is because the culture that we live in and the worldly philosophies that we have, but let's read it. For this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. And in the same way, also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And so, what we see here is, once again, things getting out of order. We give up what is natural for what is unnatural. God made, in Genesis 1, God made them male and he made them female, and he made their bodies to go together. And so, 
this is this is tough because the world the world would have you believe it that the way the that God thinking this way feeling this, feeling this way having this kind of a rule having this kind of an order is evil it's so wrong how could God how could a loving God create somebody who who's who's gay homosexual and then send them to hell so we gotta the question is does God create people that way? I'm not going to dive deep into that. It's that nature versus nurture thing. But what we do know is that whenever we talk about nature versus nurture, it's always somewhere in the middle. It's always both. It's never just one or just the other. And so I have to ask you this. Does anyone, so some people are born with tendencies. And you can't control. Can we just have a moment of maybe some, some sympathy, some empathy for people who, uh, who genuinely are attracted to the same sex. Could, if you'd never experienced that, could you imagine if you actually felt that way? If you're confused about your gender, man, if you genuinely didn't know if you were in the right body or not, man, that is a sad place to be. So people have tendencies that they're born with. That's the nature. And I have to ask you this. Is there anyone in this room who was born with a very strong tendency to be selfish? So we still have to bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is every aspect of our lives, even our sexuality, every part of us. Our sexual identity does not come before our spiritual identity. Every aspect of our lives must come under the lordship of Jesus. And this community, this group of, group of people, the LGBTQ community, guys, they are the mission field. And so often the church uses this, this chapter and this verse especially to just, just beat to death them and the rest of the world. And you know, I don't really think that's what Paul is trying to get at. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get a little, little bit to that in a, in a moment. But homosexuality is wrong. That is clear. And actually, if you want to know more about that, seriously, if you like really, I, I, right here I have a 25-page research paper on just the verses 26 and 27 that I wrote a couple years ago for school. Um, and actually, I read it this week, and I actually was like kind of pleasantly surprised. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> so, amen. Seriously, if you want to read this or you want a resource, there you have it. Because there's actually a lot, a lot to that, to that verse, to those verses. Okay. Lastly, the downward spiral, it continues. So, we'll get to our last chunk here. Okay, so I'm not even going to read it. What happens is sin, <laughs> all right? You can just see the words up there, evil, envy, murder, deceit, and just the downward spiral, it's, right? And it starts with they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And that's where it started. But look at that list a little closer. We got envy. We got gossip. Boastful. You ever been a little prideful before, a little boastful? Maybe a little gossip. Do you really think Paul's intention is to get 
he's writing to the Roman church. Do you really think his intention is to get the Romans all fired up by how evil everyone is around them and how awesome they are? Yes, yes, part of this, this passage is to show that the world is broken and that it's headed in the wrong direction. But even more so, Paul is asking the Roman church, look yourself in the mirror. Look yourself in the mirror. And you know what? Christians oftentimes are the absolute worst at looking themselves in the mirror. See, people, Christians, we find, all people find safety in large numbers. Well, everybody does it, so I can do it. There's also things that people don't do that because they don't do, we also feel excused from not doing. And so I'm going to speak, so the, maybe many of you have a, a lot of these things you've, you know, you've changed a lot, amen, you've repented. And these things don't characterize your life. They happen, but they don't characterize it. And, but here, there's some things on this list where there's a lack. Right? It's not just something you do. So if you're foolish, you lack wisdom. If you're faithless, you lack faith. If you're heartless, you lack love. And so there are things that other Christians don't do that we find safety in, that we find protection in. Like giving sacrificially till it hurts. A lot of Christians don't do that. So, is that really the call? Am I really called to give sacrificially? Loving our enemies. There's a lot of Christians who don't love their enemies. Does that mean that I don't have to love my enemies? Sometimes. Or, or it just means like, well, I do a better job than, than those people. It becomes a comparison. A lot of Christians don't deny themselves. Like, deny themselves daily. So is the Christian life really characterized by self-denial? Because... We don't see it that much. And the way everybody talks about self-denial is like, you're not supposed to do that. See, that's what the people in the generation of Noah thought. They thought, right, God said every inclination of their heart was evil. So the people, they had no idea the flood was coming. Everybody did what they did. Everybody thought the way that they thought except for Noah and his family. There is no safety in large numbers for those who commit sin and those who have sins of omission. Don't do the things that they're supposed to. And then just in case you were wondering, this is how I know what Paul's intention is with what we just read. Because the very next verse... I'm introducing next week. I'm stealing from whoever is preaching next week. I'm sorry. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on somebody else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. See, here's how the law works. 
you break one part of it and you break the whole thing, man. You let's just you know you you stole like a cool toy you wanted at the store, and this is a terrible example, but whatever. And then you got you gotta do community service or you gotta serve 30 days in jail, whatever the penalty is. And you're like, what? I didn't kill somebody. Why do I gotta do that? I I know we know you didn't commit that crime, but you broke the law, so you're guilty. So if you can find even just one thing on all the sins, all the lists that we talked about today, if you can find just one thing, you have no right to be self-righteous. Self-righteousness is the problem with religion. If we eliminated self-righteousness from religion, I, I, I could be wrong, but honestly, I think everybody would want to be a Christian. So let's eliminate all self-righteousness from the Chippewa Valley Church. So the whole point of all this, this, this wrath from, a, from an image bearer to a beast of burden. We, guys, we have a long way to go, but by the grace of God, right? So this is where the grace comes in. He will complete a good work that he began in us to conform us to the image of Jesus. By the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, by the Word of God. And so... As we wrap up today's message, I want you to embrace God's wrath. Understand it some more. You know, I, I was speaking to a brother this morning, and he said, and he's not kidding, he's dead serious, and so he said that the wrath of God was the most encouraging thing that he's ever studied. That it, it was the most impactful study of the Bible that he had ever done. Gave him more joy than ever before. It's because the wrath of God is what the Bible says it is, not what we think it is. Acknowledge God, give thanks to Him. Acknowledge Him and give thanks. Don't go down the path of what well, I worked for, it's mine. And lastly, don't be. This is not really practical. It's something that don't, don't be self-righteous. Yeah. That's what Paul is really getting at. 